Welcome to Garden DC, a podcast of Washington Gardener magazine, all about gardening in the greater Washington DC and mid-Atlantic area. Your host is Kathy Gents, editor of Washington Gardener magazine. This episode, we're talking to Kimberly Roman, an expert on square foot gardening and all things edible growing. Hi, Kimberly. Hey, how are you doing, Kathy? Good, hanging in there during this quarantine period. Um, (laughs) The one silver lining, if we can have any from the coronavirus quarantine, might be that a lot of us are getting out more into our gardens and maybe even some new gardeners are, are thinking about starting growing their own vegetables. Perfect. So I thought we would talk a little bit for beginners and then maybe give some tips to the more experienced edible growers. So first I was going to ask you to talk a little bit about yourself and what square foot gardening is. Okay. Well, um, square foot gardening is a small space, high intensive, raised bed gardening method and it works for virtually everybody we can adapt it to those that uh, have back issues or who use a wheelchair and it is just absolutely fun and fabulous I love that it can be adapted especially for those of us who are not getting any younger and (laughs) and not loving bending over so container gardening it could work for yeah. Great. So, Absolutely. and then I know that a lot of people call square foot gardening just intensive, really highly planted up um, growing beds, but it's there's a little more to it than that, right? There actually is. That would uh, technically be called raised bed gardening, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I just want to make that clear. But really, uh, square foot gardening is a trademarked term, and it is raised bed gardening that has that uses a very special growing medium called Mel's Mix and has a, a, a grid on top of that Mel's Mix. So the grid is like a, a literally a square foot by square foot grid that you place on top. Well, actually, the um, exterior of the uh, raised bed is four feet by four feet. Mm-hmm. So the interior is a little bit less than that. So, But the plants don't mind not having a full 12 inches all around. <laughs> I, could see, I could see them out there uh, with their little inch sticks shoving each other aside. <laughs> Much like my... MySpace. My exactly. <laughs> I don't know if you, if you have a sibling, Kim, but... If you remember uh, road trips from back in the day where <laughs> he's touching me. Exactly. But plants luckily are much better behaved and, and there's actually some good companion plantings and, and interweavings we can talk about in a bit. So um, Mel's mix, you talked about Mel's mix. So who is Mel and what's that mix? All right. So was the creator of the square foot gardening method and author of the books his books have sold close to 3 million copies now, so he must be doing something right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Mel's Mix, he found to be a really great growing medium, and it is basically one-third by volume, one-third 
peat moss, fluffed peat moss, or you can use cocoa core, one third of coarse vermiculite, and one third of a really good blended compost that has at least five ingredients in it. Mm-hmm. So you can blend our own according yes. to that recipe. Um, is there some place in the mid-Atlantic region we could get it, say, by the yard or by the bag full? Well, we're very fortunate. Up, uh, If you happen to be up near Aberdeen, Maryland, there is Veteran. He actually makes the great... Uh, if you're not near Aberdeen, they do deliver in bulk. So they have bulk deliveries in, in a certain area. So I don't think much farther than Northern Virginia, very top mm-hmm. of Northern Virginia and uh, high, no higher than really Southern, Southern Pennsylvania. But great. he has some satellite sites in a few towns that you can go and pick up bagged material. Mm-hmm. That's great. And because I know some of us, you know, we want to start our whole raised beds with new inputs um, every season, or we just want to top dress with some of that new mix and would just need a bag or, or two at a time. Absolutely. And I, I was going to, um, have a side note, mention that Veterans Compost was profiled in Washington Gardener magazine, um, recently and also on our blog. And they're pretty easy to find if you just Google Veterans Compost. Actually, it's um, singular, Veteran Compost. Compost, correct. Yep. So, and we know Aberdeen, Maryland, you could throw that in there too to, yep. to get the Google search a little more narrowed for you. So, um, so we've got our planting raised bed. We've got full of the Mel's mix. We maybe put our grid down. So this time of year, mid-March to late March, what would you be putting in those grids? Well, we would be putting in things like arugula, uh, leaf lettuces, your kales, your your greens, your brassicas, like your mm-hmm. um, broccoli, cabbage, peas, and beans would be a great choice for this year, too. Hmm. And do you do a lot of root vegetables? I know I'm a... Yeah. Yeah, Yep, like we can do radishes yeah. and carrots That's and, of true. course, beets. That's so true. I was going to love them. S- yeah, circle back on the brassicas because I was just talking to a couple of beginning gardeners, and my personal opinion is not to do brassicas <laughs> <laughs> in our region, um, except for the kale. Okay. I think, you know, leafy kale, the, cur- the dinosaur kale, the curly leaf kale, all of that you'll probably have okay success with. But for beginner gardeners, mm. um, I find especially broccoli, Brussels sprouts, and cauliflower can just be so heartbreaking. It can, but I think with um, broccoli, what people need to realize is that there are cool weather broccolis and some that like a little bit more heat. Also, mm-hmm. they make the mistake of not realizing if they've bought sprouting broccoli instead of heading broccoli. Mm-hmm. So those are just two things for them to think about. But, you know, pest problems are pretty bad with the, with the, the brassicas. brassicas. Yeah, I was going to say that's, that's part of the issue is um, not just selecting the correct broccoli for our region, but also that the white, we get the little white cabbage moth mm-hmm. planting his, his or her, I guess it's a her, her in this case. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I guess we're not having any hermaphrodite insects, but yes, her, her eggs, and you'll find them if you pick up a leaf, um, even on your kale, but any of your brassicas, check under the leaves 
pretty much daily or every time you visit the garden. And they're almost look like little perfect little plastic circles. Um, and to scrape those off with a thumbnail really is all you need to do. You know what I do is I take mm-hmm. a dedicated raised bed for anything mm-hmm. that does not need pollination. And I just permanently cover it with some netting that allows mm-hmm. the light to go through, but does not allow the moths to lay eggs. Yeah, that's that's another great tip is to use a row cover. Sometimes it's called remay cloth, mm-hmm. um, R-E-E-M-A-Y, or just some type of netting that would block an insect from coming and depositing eggs on that plant. So that's a great thing. And of course, you need to kind of tack it down around the edges because moss and other <laughs> insects not just fly, but they will come come along the ground too. Absolutely, and the all the coverings that you mentioned are great because they do allow the rain or water to come in. So Reme uh, and other brands of cover cloth, I like them because they're uh, woven together in such a way that they're not going to rip in March winds. So we do get occasional ah. windstorms, and at the end of March, especially in early April. Um, that way, if you've got these like kind of fused fabrics versus say using an old sheet, which yes. might, you know, turn into tatters pretty quickly oh. <laughs> in a windstorm. That's yeah. what I lost you again. Okay. okay. Do you hear me? I can hear you now. Okay. So let's go. I'll start from the tearing. Okay. Okay. So one, two, three. I also like to use. Uh, cover cloth that's been spun not woven and Reme is one of those brands because in March winds or or April storms it doesn't tear say like a co- old cotton sheet would um, and also I can stab through it several times with my um, landscape pins and also not worry about that I'm damaging an old sheet or that it's going to be in tatters after a big storm. Now that thought Mm-hmm. So let's talk really quickly about another springtime pest problem besides that white cabbage looper moth, which is slugs. Yuck. So they're a serious enemy, just not of the brassicas, but they love tender lettuces just like we do in spinach. Yes. Or, yeah, they just leave those little nasty trails all over the place. <laughs> yeah, that's one of your clues. Get up in the early morning and look out for that little slime trail. Because a lot, a lot of times you'll see the damage. You'll come out later in the day and you'll see holes um, in some of your plants. But you won't know what did it because they're, they're back under a board. They like mm. especially to be in, you know, like if you have a wood edge to your um, raised bed, that's where they like to go and spend the heat of the day and then come out at night yep so is there anything special you do for slug damage oh um you know i've I've heard people put a little thin strip of a little copper metal around Mm -hmm. their the top of their raised bed and i've heard other people use uh, diatomaceous earth Mm -hmm. and others say that they use um like uh, crushed eggshells. I, I don't know. Um, I've, I don't, ha- I don't use copper and I've not really tried the other two. Mm-hmm. I don't have a tremendous amount of slug problem here. 
Yeah, I, I have a little bit of a problem only in the vegetable patch around my hostas. I used to have mm-hmm. a little bit of slug damage, and that's when I would do the crushed eggshells, thinking that, you know, it can't hurt. And yeah. Yeah. I, would, I would always put the um, eggshells in the microwave for a minute um, after you've obviously cooked, e- cooked eggs, just the rinsed eggshells in there uh, just to kill any E. coli or anything that might be in there. And you're mm-hmm. adding calcium back into the garden, so it's there's no harm, no foul for adding eggshells. Exactly. Um, in my vegetable garden, I'll sprinkle on the edges sluggo, which is just iron yep. iron phosphate. And again, it's not going to harm anything um, plant wise. And actually, the iron could help um, your soil. So that's Absolutely. one thing you could do. Yep, you're right. I'm imagining with the copper tip. I'm imagining somebody with some very fancy raised beds trimmed in (laughs) copper. (laughs) Well, there's actually like a thin copper, almost like a tape on Mm -hmm. a pole. And that's pretty easy to get. Uh, It's not fancy at all. And you just kind of tack it on to the top of the raised bed. Mm -hmm. And so the theory behind the copper tape is that the slug gets a little electrical shock um, from passing over it uh, with their slime. But obviously, won't be any shock or any problem for a human or a pet or anything. Yeah. So um, let's move on to pleasanter issues besides garden pests, which is peas. Yum. So yeah. <laughs> so do you have a favorite variety of peas that you like to grow in the spring? No, I really don't. I am, you know, I I actually couldn't tell you what my favorite pea is because I usually put so many in the garden. And they never make it into the house. <laughs> and yeah, my grand between my grandkids and I, I don't think I've ever cooked a pea. <laughs> I'd say the same with me. I like to, the varieties I like are the pods where you're just going to eat the fresh pod and the pea in it and not even shell it. So um, those just go straight into my mouth as I'm snacking around the garden while doing other tasks. I actually do like the shell peas better, mm-hmm. um, only because I think it's it's fun to kind of just zip them into your mouth, and grandkids mm-hmm. love it. And um, then they then the then they'll throw around the uh, the exterior, which if they put it on top of the soil, uh, is going to decompose, and it's kind of like chop and drop uh, composting. Yeah, it's great nitrogen back into the soil. Perfect, and and that's a good point. That at the end of your season, uh, usually you'll know when your peas are ending because it'll get super hot towards the end of May, early June, and the peas will just stop producing flowers, and the and the vine just kind of I'll describe it as melting in the heat. Um, and at that point, you could just you know chop down what you have there and just lay it let it lay lay on the soil and work its way back in absolutely that's that's really good that's a really good point and just reminded me of when you said that you prefer shelling and i prefer the the whole pod that i have a friend who doesn't even get to that stage (laughs) she prefers the pea tendrils themselves so snipping the the fresh tendrils and using those Absolutely. That'd be, that'd be a lot of fun too, for the grandkids to eat these little squirrely, swirly things. Mm-hmm. Also, so I know that, the, don't forget, yeah, go don't ahead. forget that um, your peas will not continue to produce more flowers unless you pick them all the time, pick the pea mm-hmm. all the time. And when they're young and enjoy them. Exactly. So like a lot of plants, continual harvest 
makes the plant produce more. So when you just have one or two sitting there and you're waiting for them to get big or juicy, say like a tomato, um, it's going to hinder the rest of the, the plant from producing flowers and fruit. Yep. So that's a good point. And I was going to say, if you do want to enjoy some tendrils, that I would just plant extra pea plants and just have extra, some that you would dedicate for having the tendrils, say, in a stir fry or salad Mm -hmm. or eating straight out in the garden. And then the others that you would leave to form peas on. And then when you mentioned laying the plants on on top of the, uh, the ground, one thing you can do is keep checking, especially if they're shell peas, keep checking it and you could probably pull those out and uh, replant them in the fall. Yeah. So any that are dry Mm -hmm. on the vine, you can let them dry on the vine. Yeah. And collect them for planting later on in the year. Um, Or you could also obviously dry them and make pea soup or other things with them. And I was going to say, inevitably you miss one or two pea pods in any case. (laughs) And those are, and those are my seed peas. I'm like, Oh, missed that one is past past tenderness so that will be the one that i grow next season yeah and that's a good point to bring up too is that we're in the spring shoulder season the cool season before um the last frost and then we'll be moving into the hot summer season where we can have our peppers tomatoes green beans squash zucchini and all that but then at the other shoulder the fall season we can plant peas again yep and i do (laughs) Yeah. So do you do a, a succession planting? Um, yeah, I do. I, with, um, with square foot gardening, let's imagine you've got your raised bed and you've got the grid on top of it. And like early in the, early in the spring, you could put four leaf lettuces in one of the squares. Then you mm-hmm. harvest that, take a trowel of compost, stir it into the Melsbix and you're going to be ready with a transplant like a pepper. Let that pepper go. And when it's done, pull it out. Another trial of compost, stir it in for, to refresh the nutrients again. And be ready with your fall turnips. Great. Huh, turnip. So <laughs> it sounds like a lot of work. but what I do is I don't know if you put ticklers in your calendar or you just know this is the time but I like to put little ticklers in my um, scheduling calendar or in my google calendar and say this is the time to switch out Mm. um, from my cool season to my warm season of course it's all weather dependent things can slide a week or so back or forward correct and we do that too um there are some great charts in the book that kind of basically tell you when you can, and that would be the all new square foot gardening book. And they would tell mm-hmm. you when you can start things, seeds indoors, when you can start seeds outdoors, when you transplant, and then it carries you all the way through continuous harvest and into the fall. That's great. And then, um, so cool season back mm-hmm. to that let's talk about some of our root vegetables so radishes yep. for me are super easy i think that's a great beginner plant to go with even if you're not a big fan of radish you know eating radishes it's at least something to try out and, grow. and if you don't like um, the taste of of radishes try roasting them in the oven mm-hmm. and it has a completely different flavor 
that's a great tip. It really mellows them out if that sharpness is, is a problem for you. Yep. And I know the French, and there's even a, a radish called French breakfast, yeah. um, will slice up radishes on have it on a slice of a baguette with some nice butter, cold butter. Um, and that will bring down some of the mellowness too. Absolutely. So that one's a good chip. But yeah, I like to grow rash because one, one, when you put the seeds in the ground, within three days, sometimes five days, you'll have seedlings mm-hmm. showing. And that's gratifying <laughs> because a lot of times you'll put seed down for, say, beets or turnips or carrots, and you're waiting weeks for a seedling to Two show Two weeks up. later, you're sitting there going, oh, I guess it didn't work. Let me plant something else. Mm-hmm. But yeah, have a little patience. Um, so that's what's great about radish. And you can, from seed to harvest, when you have a radish actually up and in your hand to eat, it could be 45 days. And that's great for children, too, to get a little mm-hmm. bit of, I don't want to say instant gratification, but yeah. But certainly quicker than a lot of other um, edible yes. plants. Because carrots are notoriously really long to germinate, Um it sometimes can take three to four weeks for you to even see a little a baby yeah. seedling. Unfortunately, um, unfortunately about... it doesn't, it's not mm-hmm. something you can start indoors either because root crops just really don't like to be transplanted. Correct. Yeah, it's really tough to do them either in containers or indoors just because they don't like to be transplanted at all. They don't like, obviously, because they're root vegetables, uh, their roots disturbed yeah. at all. So I was also going to say that a lot of the seedlings, like radishes, lettuce seedlings, arugula, you can grow for microgreens. And that's one thing you could start indoors. So say you didn't have outdoor growing space um, in a garden plot or raised bed, you could grow just the starts of them and harvest them for your salad. Absolutely. I would uh, ask people to, to to read up because they really do want to get microgreen seeds in that case because mm-hmm. they are not sprayed with anything that that could might be sprayed on regular radish seeds or I mean um, arugula seeds or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that Botanical Interests is one of the companies that sells microgreen packages mm-hmm. and blends especially made just for that. So what you're spending a lot of money on it, like gourmet salad shops um, or at the grocery store, you can pretty quickly get a flat of nice microgreens that you just take your kitchen scissors and um, cut a handful and sprinkle that on top of your salad or on a sandwich or on a soup. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I have been munching on sunflower microgreens and beets. Mm. I've got beet and um, peas and cilantro and something else i love cilantro but i was going to ask you to to describe some of the difference in the tastes because i know that there's a huge difference between the sunflower microgreen and say the beet microgreen absolutely uh it kind of um with the beet especially kind of almost intensifies because it is such a small package and you're getting uh all the, the nutrients in there and it it does just like just like you were saying how it takes them a long time to pop up in the garden. It really is kind of like a slow microgreen to grow. So that's and then but mm-hmm. the um, the 
sunflower is really good. It's just got this great crispness to it. And you normally, of course, you don't normally eat the plant part of the of a sunflower. You usually eat that, that seed. Yeah. So it's it's a nice taste and uh, it's not really describable because there's nothing like it. Mm-hmm. I think the closest would be a green bean that would still not quite that taste, but I think the texture and maybe the taste of a, a sunflower microgreen, that would be the closest yeah, to right. it. Something in that, in that, in that genre. Yeah. So um, let's go on to herbs. Cause that's something that if you're buying fresh herbs at the grocery store at a farmer's market, it's a little pricey, but growing your own is so economical. Right. Now, Mel Bartholomew actually wrote a book called High Value Veggies. And in it, he took mm-hmm. in a lot of things into consideration and determined your kind of return on investment for different things. So um, off the top of my head, I know he's thinking um, potatoes. Potatoes are easy to get at a farmer's market or the grocery mm-hmm. store very inexpensively. But he says that herbs are number one. If you have no space and only have a little bit to grow something, herbs by far and away are your best investment. And at that time, it's a little bit of an older book, but at that time, he was saying that cilantro, I think, was $25 per square foot that wow. you could end up saving by growing your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know cilantro's come down in price a little bit yeah. as it's gotten more popular, but still, I would say a packet of seeds of cilantro is what two ninety five yeah. probably. And I think what people miss on cilantro, miss out about knowing about cilantro, is that it doesn't last forever in the garden. Mm-hmm. It it does have to be like every couple of weeks you would want to start a, another square or another pot of cilantro. Exactly. And it hates our, our heat and humidity in the summer. Yep. Um, so it kind of peters out by that end of May period. And that's when it bolts or uh, is another word for setting flower. So it'll send up a flower shoot. And then the, after the flower forms, then it goes to seed. And guess what? <laughs> Those seeds are edible. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Coriander. Yes. So AKA coriander. So let your cilantro, you know, by mid-May, I'd say let it go to seed and then, you know, put a paper bag over it, snip the plant off at the bottom and turn it upside down and shake out and let those seeds dry. And of course, some of those should be reserved for planting in the fall. Absolutely. Um, another thing is, I, I've, I've heard this, I'm not 100% sure if it's true, but if you're growing cilantro in like a pot or in a square, it likes to have mm-hmm. two plants near each other. They like to have a friend. Interesting. So, not sure if that's 100% true, but <laughs> that's what I've heard. That I can see why, because it is such a, a tender green um, that it would almost lay down flat on the ground mm-hmm. um, without mm-hmm. the support of a, of a friend or neighbor. So I could see that. So I could see why you'd want to plant cilantro either thickly or in like little groups of seeds. And it plays well, at least with, with other cilantro. Mm -hmm. The only problem is, is if you interplanted it, say among carrots or something else, then then it's hard because it'll take over. Yeah. Not so good. Yeah. 
in that way, it's not a good companion. Um, so some other herbs um, for this time of year would be parsley, which is fairly easy for beginners. Very. And I was trying to think of another leafy green that they could get started at this time. Any leafy ideas? Green. Um, hmm. Well, anything like bok about... choy type thing. Or, mm-hmm. well, yeah, anything that says green, Asian greens, tatsoi. Oh, yeah. Those are really tasty, yeah. too. And then there's the whole spinach mm-hmm. family. So you can do lots of different spinaches. Um, and again, at the seedling or microgreen stage, if they're sowed pretty thickly and you want to thin them out, you can just take some kitchen scissors out to the garden and snip off a few and graze as you go. Um, so, mm-hmm. I would or also- just let... Let yeah, them lay I would down. always say with with to people like they they always want to if they go out to thin everything out in their garden they're like oh it's a cute little baby plant I don't want to kill it and I'm like going give me the scissors that's a microgreen I'm eating it do you know how much those cost at Trader Joe's <laughs> <laughs> yeah I said so with my interns who are usually new to gardening um, it's it's tough to get them to thin the plants so. Say with a radish, where we, we sow it pretty thickly. We plant the seeds pretty thickly. You want to thin them out to one plant every couple inches to give the plant and the radish a space to develop. Meanwhile, you're killing eight other little baby plants, um, snipping them off. So what I'll do is I'll lay like a, a paper towel on both sides of the little seedlings, you know, really tight in there, and I'll snip them off. That way the paper towel collects it and they're not sitting yeah. in the soil. And then that's pretty, pretty good eatings right there, Absolutely. right there. Um, but I was just going to say that, yeah, it's tough in the beginning to thin. So thinning might be one of your hardest um, mental blocks because you're like, every one of these seeds I yeah. want to grow. And you have to have faith that the ones you do leave are the stronger ones that are um, going to develop And you definitely you. want to use a pair of scissors and snip them off instead of pulling them out because... Like if you've got three three uh, seedlings close to each other and you try to pull out the weakest two, there's a lot a big chance that you could um, or a good chance that you could actually end up damaging that third root and lose all three. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's why uh, snipping off I found to be a lot easier than sitting there. I've seen people with tweezers trying to gently pull them apart, and that's that could be really tough without damaging one of the other plants' roots because they're they're such tiny seedlings. So at that point. Uh, with square foot gardening, we kind of do it a little different way. We very precisely put our planting holes in the soil, and we only use two mm-hmm. to three seeds per per hole, and then that way we know um, we can snip the, the weakest two if all three come up. But like if there's mm-hmm. like leaf lettuces, which would be four per square, if something green pops up in the middle, I can, I know it's a weed and I don't have to wait for it to get big enough to identify as a weed to pull out. Mm-hmm. That's a great tip. I, I know a lot of us at, at are begin, who are beginner vegetable gardeners, you just want to, put it super thick and plant as much as you can and just throw the seeds in there. But if you're planting in a row or in a precise grid, that gives you a good indication of where the weeds are and where they're not. So I mark a lot. I'll use a string or like a pole that I'll lay down along the seedlings. Um, And that way I know on this edge of the pole, it's, if it's coming up, it's a weed. If it's on the left side, that's what a plant I want to keep. Oh, that's a great idea. 
Yeah, it helps a lot in the beginning, especially when you're a beginner and don't recognize, say, what a baby radish looks like or a baby carrot. I still don't until it's at least, you know, over half in. (laughs) Yeah, one of my projects on my long to-do list is like, one day I'm going to make a slideshow or a children's book that's like baby vegetables (laughs) and shows the seedling stage of every little vegetable um, versus every weed. But there's always new ones coming up, so you'll never cover cover all of them. <laughs> so in our last few minutes together, I was going to ask you, um, what other projects are you working on now besides tending the vegetable garden? Well, let's see. While, I, while I'm on Corona Watch, <laughs> we're actually, I'm actually working on a, a gardening book, but it's a little bit different because it's um, based on... Um, allocating your garden space based on your chronic illnesses. So it's a little bit different and I'm working on some online uh, gardening classes and um, I have no life other than my gardens. <laughs> Just kidding. No, but, um, yeah, Welcome but to the club. Kids, you know, yeah. Grandkids are keeping me busy long distance. I'm still getting in the middle of the night. I have to learn to tur- turn my uh, notifications off. <laughs> Or my ten-year-old will granddaughter will be pinging me, but yeah, great. And and how can people find sure. you? Sure. Well, the easiest way, and the, where I I fall down a lot on social media because I kind of do that for a living, so my own goes by the wayside. But I'm pretty active on Facebook, and my page is Square Foot Gardening, the number four and the letter U. Square Foot Gardening for you. Oh, yeah, that makes it super easy. And my, well, wait a second, right. my, my uh, so, I just thought of it. My website is SFG, the number four, the letter U, SFG4U.com. There we go. Oh, that makes it even better and a lot easier to type. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kim, for joining us for this session. I know a lot of us are getting out there in the garden and feeling the itch to grow something and to put a positive impact on the planet Earth yeah. at this time of year. Um, And maybe in a few weeks, we'll be eating from those gardens. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Kim. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Plant Profile for Scythia This early spring-blooming shrub is a mainstay of area gardens and parks. Some people object to their bright yellow relentless cheer, but we could not imagine a local springtime without them. One of the best uses of this plant is on moss, such as at Dumbarton Oaks in Washington, D.C. The famous planting was designed by Beatrice Ferrand. After flowering, your forsythia should be cut down to 18 to 24 inches high, and will then quickly grow back. This tough garden plant needs at least six hours of fall sun for reliable flowering each year. It likes well-joining soils enriched with organic matter. We recommend mulching around it each fall with partially composted leaves. The shrub can reach eight feet tall and five feet wide. 
If space is an issue in your garden, recent introductions like sunrise and gold tide are more compact. Forsythia is very easy to propagate. Often a branch will touch the ground and take root. Just cut that branch off from the mother plant, dig up the roots, and transplant it. You can also guide a branch down, place a rock on it, then come back a month or so later to check on if it has rooted yet. If your forsythia is not blooming early enough for you, cut a few branches in February and bring them indoors, then place them in a tall vase filled with room temperature water to force them into flower. While the yellow forsythia is ubiquitous, did you know there's a related white forsythia and even a pink form? Try planting a forsythia bush in your garden today. You can grow that. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You can find Washington Gardener online at WashingtonGardener.com, on Twitter at WDC Gardener, on Instagram at WDC Gardener, and on Facebook.com at Washington Gardener Magazine.